0: Welcome to the Prepped and Polished podcast, the podcast that empowers you to take control of your education, featuring weekly interviews with influencers in the world of education, as well as tutoring tips, lessons, and updates. And now, here's your host, Alexis Avila.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Prepped and Polished podcast. This is Alexis Avila of Prepped and Polished, a tutoring and test prep firm that provides in-person and online tutoring for the SAT, ACT, grad school tests, private school tests, academic subjects such as math, science, English, and study skills coaching. For more information, please check out preppedandpolished.com. And get to know the Prepped and Polished community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Prepped and Polished. Joining our show today is Jeff Likin, creator of Evolution Mentoring and Mentor Counseling. Jeff is an internationally recognized expert in the field of helping teens and young adults build substantial thriving lives. Jeff holds a master's degree in educational counseling from the state of California. He served as adjunct faculty at the University of San Francisco Grad School of Education and has guest lectured at Stanford University. Jeff talks to us about the power of mentoring and ways in which he shows teens all over the world how to grow up and lead powerful lives. To our listeners, you can submit a question at any time to radio at com. I love hearing from you. Jeff Liken, thanks so much for coming on the Prepped and Polish podcast. How are you today?
0: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. Um, let's start out. Can you focus on a couple pivotal moments that brought you to, uh, to here with us today as an internationally recognized expert uh, in the field of helping teens and young adults build substantial, thriving lives?
0: Sure. Um, the couple of that immediately come to mind. Um, one of them is that very early on in uh, in my sort of journey into my professional career. I was working at a residential treatment center for children who've been labeled, diagnosed, and labeled as severely emotionally disturbed, Um, and there was there was two things that I observed when I was working in this setting. And you have to understand, I was about 20 at the time that I was working there, so I was really novice. Um, The only experience I really had previous to that was at summer camp, Um, and so to work with you know kids who had real significant emotional problems and. Intense reactions and aggressive behavior was a real wake-up call to me. And there were two things that I observed. One of them was that there were uh, many times that the kids that I was working with would go to their clinical appointments and go work with their um, therapist, and they seemed to come back afterwards and be more volatile, um, more irritable, less capable of regulating themselves than they were doing before they went. And the other thing was is that there were certain adults who worked in this setting who seemed to be able to captivate the kids' attention and get them to listen, calm, be responsive. in essence act like normal kids when they're in the presence of these adults. And as I went a little bit further forward in my career, I eventually went to graduate school and I worked um, in the public schools in the city of San Francisco, um, almost entirely exclusively with the most at-risk population. I kept noticing this same trend, is that there were certain adults that the kids, when they were around these people, they would behave absolutely fine, and there were you know, other adults who might say the exact same words, but they would get a totally different reaction from these um, students that, that they were working with. I kept observing this pattern again and again, and eventually when I started my own practice, it became very, very clear to me that one of the things that was going on was that the The traditional psychotherapeutic clinical approach to working with youth was primarily a method which would require them to have to put their attention on things that brought out the worst in them, so the bad memories of what happened or the stories about how the times they got in trouble, and it would bring out the worst in the kids. The other thing um, that I observed was this pattern of certain adults that the same kids would be around, and all of a sudden... Their life would light up and they would be excited about their futures. And it kept happening again and again and again until um, about 1998. I met this man, this guy named Joseph Riggio, who was um, offering some training work that I had been um, following and sort of been referred to work with him. And he pointed out to me this thing that I had already been observing, but he actually put a whole frame around it. And the frame that he put around it was something which he referred to as an excitatory bias. So I'm trying not to be too technical with you, but in simple, the idea of the excitatory bias is that if a person learns to put their attention on what works for themselves, if they put attention on where their strengths are, on the things that bring out the best in them, what happens is that they begin to live a life with, from a place of what works and from what brings out the best in them. And the excitatory bias becomes this way of life where a person is... Organized to sort for possibilities, so no matter what situation they find themselves in, they can always be looking for solutions or, you know, something that would find their way out of it. As opposed to an orientation which is inhibitory, which is about what's wrong with the world and what the problems are. So, that's technical. Let me give you a, an anecdotal of it. I work primarily with teenagers, so it's a very common thing that I'll get a phone call from a teenager who is either upset because something happened with friends or something happened with parents or they went to school and there was an exam dropped on them at the last minute and, you know, now they have to prepare for an exam tomorrow and they have a three-page paper they have to write and they have college applications that are due and all this kind of stuff. And whereas in the past, before we started working together, what they would probably do is get all stressed out about this which means tensing up their bodies and getting all their, um, uh, you know, the the hormones flushing through their body that's just going to make them more anxious and bring their heart rate up, and then talk to their friends about it who are going to reinforce for them, you know, how unfair life is or how bad everything is. Instead, what I'm training them to do is to be able to settle themselves, calm their heart rate down, and put their attention where it needs to be so that they can perform at their best. And this idea of performing at the best is you know when you are able to really sit down and you can study and you have the confidence to go and talk to people or when you can be around other kids who are behaving a particular way and it just doesn't bother you, you know where are you putting your attention? How do you go about doing this? And this became the the really the focal point of my practice was teaching teenagers how to be able to stay centered, stay calm, stay focused, stay oriented towards possibilities, no matter what obstacles or challenges come their way in life. And coming back around to where we started with this, you know, with your question, the contrast from what I was doing versus when the same teenagers had been going to traditional psychotherapy where they were coming in and instead talking about their problems and how they feel about those problems and what it reminds them of, which of course only leads them into a, a you know a darker place inside themselves um, was a dramatic contrast and what would happen was the same teenagers who had been stuck or feeling anxious or overwhelmed after working with me and learning this methodology, which I offer all of a sudden found themselves able to walk into school and have confidence and be able to stay calm and stay focused and be able to Um, handle setbacks in life, and instead of thinking about the future as a place to be nervous or worried about, they began to approach the future as an exciting adventure to be lived. And um, this was this fundamental thing that happened very early on in my career when I noticed the difference between the kind of adults who seem to be able to bring out the best in kids versus these other methodologies which tend to actually drag them down. So essentially... Uh, what I did was build a model trying to replicate what all these best teachers and best coaches and, you know, that uncle who knows exactly how to say things in a way that gets you to smile again, you know, what they That's were great. doing. <laughs> yeah,
1: That's awesome. Um, how, how are teens the same today from when you work with them 25 years ago, and, and, and how are they different?
0: Um, the simplest answer that I'm going to give to that is the way – in which they are the same, is that there's really, as I, as I see it, there's really two stages of the teen years, and this has not changed. The first stage hits around middle school, typically by about seventh grade, um, quite literally usually as they're turning from 12 to about 13 years old, so as soon as we add teen into the age. And it's this, it's this shift where it's away from being a child, and instead it's about being a teen. And this hasn't changed. It's this age where all of a sudden, I don't want to be seen as a little kid anymore. I want to be seen as a teenager. Uh, I'm, I'm more concerned about what my friends are doing and what other kids are doing, and I want to be with my friends, and I want to have um, a certain kind of social status. Um, and so that's that's the same. The other part of the teenage years um, usually hits around 15 and a half to 17 years old, and it's this awakening that... I am my own person, and I am rapidly becoming an adult and I have to figure out who I am. And up until now, I have been who I've been told I'm supposed to be. I've been told uh, I've been who I have to be. I've been who I needed to be in order to be whatever part of whatever group I want to be part of. Um, but who am I really? And at that moment, it's no longer about wanting to be a teenager, it's about wanting to become an adult. And that has stayed the same um, from the earliest years I worked. I'd say the area where I see the difference is what it actually means to be a teenager for a 13-year-old and what it means to be an adult as well as um, the tremendous amount of pressure and the sense of scarcity um, that, that creates a lot of stress and anxiety and worry for teenagers. So the simplest you know, answer about this is... 25 years ago, I did not see 13-year-olds who were trying to hook up with as many boys or girls or whatever as they could possibly do and have sex at young ages. And, you know, the idea of smoking weed or drinking alcohol was something that, you know, high school kids did or older high school kids did or college kids did. And now um, that's part of what it is to be a teenager. And for many of them, they approach that stuff not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Um, and for the older teenagers, the thing I think that has shifted is there's a substantial uh, sense of scarcity now, which leads them to feel uh, they're in competition with anyone and everyone around them. And if they don't get into certain colleges, they're you know they're not going to have a chance in life. And um, you know that kind of pressure and stuff that comes that is, is different than it was 25 years ago. So.
1: Wow. And what about the parents over the last 25 years? Parenting styles the same?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's, there's so much that's been written about this and talked about this. And part of it is that you have, um, you know, the, the sort of older teenagers, the ones who are in their late teens into their 20s right now and even early 30s, um, you know, are being raised by baby boomers, and the rest of them are being raised by the Gen Xers like myself. And, um, you know, really nobody who grew up really having to struggle a great deal, um, you know, mostly who during their adult parents who during their adult lives have lived generally with a sense of um, availability of resources and abundance and that kind of stuff. And so there's been a lot more time um, and, you know, resources available to put into our kids and worry about our kids and think about our kids and, um you know there's so there's that that element that i observe as much as probably anybody else does is you know in a way parents have too much time and too much expectation of their kids um, you know there, there's that particular thing that's going on but i find really you know with the exception of a handful of ridiculous stories which they can make documentaries about on hbo you know for the most part most parents are exactly the same now as they were before there's no one in the world that they love more than their child there's no one they want anything better for than their child and I would say, if anything, they, where they get lost is in the endless worry about where they're going to perform academically and how important that is mm-hmm. to their future and oftentimes forgetting that there's the other 95% of what it takes to be successful and happy in life where our kids are actually, in general, um, very unprepared and undereducated.
1: Jeff, I was studying your website, and you mentioned somewhere um, that you know these some of these teens need to learn how to grow up. Can you elaborate on that?
0: Well, sure uh, you know, give you I can give you um, you know numerous examples because my practice ranges from um, in some cases kids as young as eighth grade or so, but mostly their high school, college age, and into their young adult life and a very common pattern that I'll see um, that I've, I've witnessed it many times in my practice is um, you know kids who grew up essentially with a lot of privilege they went to you know. What would be considered good schools? Um, you know, by today's standards, a good school is generally defined as a place where you're most likely to get into Harvard and least likely to get jumped by a gang. You know, so <laughs> they're uh, you know uh, academically privileged background, and they have excelled, and oftentimes they've had the you know the coaches and the organizers and the tutors and the SAT classes and um, you know all that kind of stuff going for them and they go off to college and all of a sudden um, some of them for the first time in their life find themselves surrounded by people who are even more academically adept than they are and um, they're used to always being in the top twenty percent and now all of a sudden they're in the middle or the bottom um, and they begin to unravel it's too much to you know, suddenly realize you know, gee I've worked this hard and you know, there's people who are so much smarter than me and do I have what it takes so that's one example, and then another is you know how many times when they do get out of school, after all the academic success or accomplishment they've had, and they get out into the real world, and they you know find that the real world isn't going to treat them with awards every four months with their you know A's and their dean's list. You know they're going to have to really be able to show that they can produce results for uh, for whatever company or business. And um, it takes much more than the ability to be able to swing a paper at the last minute and a bunch of charm to do it. So, I think some of the stuff that's that I find really interesting is, uh, for example, like Project 21, the 21st uh, project for 21st century learning, and the studies they've done around what all the attributes and skills are that the the uh, you know upcoming workforce is really going to need, and how little of that is actually taught in school. And so how it is that so many high achievers in school get out into the world and, um, you know, uh, struggle. Um, I was in England doing a program about two weeks ago and having a conversation with this man who runs one of the top, um, well, in England, it's, they're called colleges, but it's a, uh, you know, academic prep for university the last two year, what we would call the last two years of high school here. And they were talking about the research and studies around what they call the, the bamboo ceiling, the, um, particularly studying the Asian kids who are super high achievers academically but then get out into the career world and hit a ceiling very quickly because they don't have the ability to be able to think um, you know, beyond just getting the right answer or um, to be able to you know, push through a lot of the challenges or the uh, interpersonal things that are going to come up. So that's just you know one example, but I see it played out with all the American kids that I work with as well. So
1: definitely. Um, so what what types of students don't you take on, Jeff?
0: Um, if I get there's a couple times the kind that I that I don't take on somebody who has real severe uh, you know serious substance abuse issues, somebody who has real significant um, uh, psychological disorders or mental health issues that really need to be treated clinically. Um, I don't, I don't take on, um, in general, you know, the kids who are, um, looking for shortcuts and not really particularly, uh, you know, exploring for a deeper meaning or deeper purpose or deeper connections in life are not particularly interested in what I do. Um, you know, if I get a phone call from a parent and the only thing that they are worried about is their child, you know, working harder in school to get A's because they're getting B pluses and that's not good enough. I don't work with those people. <laughs> sure. um, they're generally not the right match for my values. Sure. So that's the kind I generally don't work with.
1: Let's talk about um, the various programs you offer. Um, you have quite a few. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, what are some of your, like, you know, what are some of the, the main the main ones that you work on? And so, I know you're working on some upcoming programs, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I... my. My signature program that I, that I have is, is my Evolution Mentoring practice. And it's working with teens and young adults, one-to-one, private, customized mentoring. And it is, it's a really, really, really um, unique paradigm <laughs> that I operate from. The, the teens and young adults I work with generally are thoughtful. They are ambitious. They're seeking something more in their life. They're the kind of kids who are asking some of life's questions and they're trying to figure out what they really want. They're trying to make deeper connections. You know, just being popular isn't going to be enough. Um, and in general they find it hard to get really good advice or get something more than cliches or they're being told, you know, don't worry so much, you over worry, and you know, of course that doesn't help somebody stop worrying. But so in my in my private um, practice, my clients have access to me twenty four seven. And they literally can text me at 3 o'clock in the morning. And they can do that because I turn my ringer off at night. But, um, you know, life comes up and I get these, I'll get the phone call at 10 o'clock on a Friday night at a party. And, you know, I just had a fight with my boyfriend and I'm really, you know, I need advice or um, I have a big exam tomorrow and I'm all stressed out. Help me get my head back in the right place. This is that excitatory bias that I was talking about that I can, you know, that I'm training them to be able to do on their own. Um, You know, I have parents who will call me up and ask for um, advice about a situation that might come up. So I work with parents as well, and it's a really, really, really unique way of working. Um, So that's really my signature program. And for the right match, it is transformational, and usually very quickly, a month or two into working. And we're seeing somebody who is walking through the world with less stress on their shoulders, Feeling more confident, more capable, making better decisions, greater clarity about what they want, cleaning out people from their life who bring them down, moving towards people who are going to help them progress their life forward. Um, it's really, really cool. I also, starting in 2015, am offering groups that will meet um, for half a day. they will be from 9 to 1. And I rotate months, so one month it's going to be out here in California, in the Bay Area where I live, and the next month it'll be in the New York area. Um, And they're going to be meeting so these six times a year in each location, and it's groups of up to five um, teens who are going to be able to work with me very intensively in a small group um, setting. So these are two things I'm doing in my private practice. At at a larger level, I have a program called Hero Path, which is a program that's about helping teens and young adults. To find their life direction, and for for people to participate in Hero Path, it's a weekend-long program, um, Friday night through Sunday. It does not have to be the type of teenager that I would work with privately. You know, the ones who are going to want to have this more intense relationship with me. It's just the ones who are trying to figure it out. They're going, you know, who am I? What do I really want in my life? What do I want to study in college? Where do I want to go to college? What do I want to do with my career? Um, oftentimes, they're at that point in those 16 to 17 year old. Um, where they're realizing that some of the people that they're currently hanging out with are not the right match for them and they need to learn how to make better decisions about what relationships they want. And it's a really, really, really cool program. I have um, some fascinating colleagues who, who work with me in that program. Um, the groups are generally about 20 to 25 um, per group. Um, it's usually about a four-to-one ratio of the staff members that I have, so it's um, you know a lot of stuff done in breakout groups and individual Um, And so there's the HeroPath program, which we've done for about 10 years. I've done it in the U.K. a number of times, uh, Ireland, New Zealand, the U.S., um, and I'm going to be expanding that out even further this coming year um, in the U.S. And there's a HeroPath coaching program, which is to attend the weekend program, but also then get one whole year of coaching um, as a once a month um, coaching sessions. That will um, reinforce the learning that went on during the Hero Path Week, and it's really, really cool the way that we're doing that. I'm already in the um, midst of the first group going through it right now, and the results have just been phenomenal um, for these kids who are going through it. And it's again designed for those who are not necessarily looking for the intensive kind of work they're going to get with me privately, um, but they they really have something particular they want to be working on, and they want the coaching to be able to work on that one particular thing. And um, so there's that program. The last thing is that I am, in 2015, launching a program which is actually called Hero Path Launch, and uh, this is actually publicly the first time that I've announced this, although I've been writing a little bit about it to my inner
1: Nice. That's, um, that's okay. Which
0: is, yeah, which is a program that is a year-long coaching program designed for the failure-to-launch generation. <laughs> so if you are a parent listening to this and you have that, you know, 19 to 25-year-old who is either in school but just going through the motions or dropped out of school or didn't go to school at all or just graduated is now living on the couch and can't figure out what they want to do with their life um, and is really stuck. Um, That is going to be a really remarkable program. And I'm going to work with 10 people only um, over the course of a year. We're piloting this and uh, working very intensively with them. And I've actually already run this model now with several different um, I'm young man actually in this in this demographic in the last two years um, and it's been remarkable uh, one of them oh, yeah. who had been working for a couple of years at an outback steakhouse and you know left college and was you know living in an apartment and um, lost his lease and had to move back in with his parents and I got a desperate call from the mom saying my 22 year old is smoking pot and living at home and working as a waiter and um, I met this young man very reluctant on his part and after one conversation with him helped him to realize what he really wanted to be doing and shifted one thing in his perspective about what it would take to go do it and now he has started his own business and is um, doing this whole uh, really unique niche of customization of cars and stuff. It's really, really cool. Um oh, that's
1: another, awesome. Uh,
0: yeah, another one was a uh, young man who was about 20 followed a girl after high school, uh, so didn't go off to college, went to junior college, actually, didn't go to four-year university. And after about six months, the relationship ended, and he was devastated and um, really stuck in his life for about a year and a half, wallowing in it, and probably three meetings with him, and all of a sudden got him back engaged in life, and now he's back in school full-time and uh, going to four-year university and made a whole bunch of new friends and, you know, really – Launched into his life and stuff. So this is what I'm going to be planning to do with a group of ten. Um, it's probably going to be mostly males because that seems to be the demographic, but it's not going to be limited to that. So, you will have launch.
1: Yeah. This is incredible. Really exciting. Um, Jeff, what's what would you say is the most rewarding part of the work for you?
0: Well, oh wow. Uh, <laughs> that's like such a beautiful question. I appreciate that. And so it's one of those where I think, I don't want to get it wrong. Um, I think for me, it is, I've 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 worked with so many in my private practice, and again, this is really for, parents know exactly who I'm talking about when I describe it. It's the kid that is more thoughtful and a little bit more, you know, seeking a little more, a little bit deeper. Oftentimes, they'll, you know, parents will say, well, it's a little bit of an old soul or... You know, they've always been the one who is a little bit more aware or a little bit more concerned about, you know, their friends or, you know, that kind of stuff. And there's so many times um, that I've worked with these, um, and I call them kids, but I know they're, you know, they're teens and young adults. When I work with them where they've gotten so discouraged, Uh, it's so hard to be this type of person um, when the pop culture around is just fast-moving and not... uh, you know particularly interested in um, in substance and when all of a sudden they they come to that point where they go you know it's really it's really feels good to be who I am and I know that I can be who I am and live in this world even though it isn't going to be easy and when that moment happens that thing clicks when the pieces just come to p- together and all of a sudden they go wow I'm no longer afraid I'm no longer insecure <laughs> I am excited to be who I am and to be able to live the kind of life that I really want to live, Um, even though, um, you know, maybe it's not going to be the easiest path for me, um, but I'm excited to live it. When that moment happens, um, that is probably the most satisfying experience that I have. Um, You know, being invited to their weddings down the road and watching them as they have career success or launching their own businesses or... Um, you know, reconnecting with family that they had, you know, turned their back. And all that kind of stuff is wonderful. Um, but that's all the sort of reward that comes afterwards. It's just that moment where I know they've got the pieces in place now and they can go out and they can have uh, an awesome life.
1: That's amazing. Jeff, how can we get in touch with you?
0: Well, um, two easiest ways. Um, and I'm and in the modern world with everybody else, so email. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and phone. So I'll give you my, my email is Jeff. That's simple enough. J E F F at L E I K E N dot com. It's also my website, www.lyken dot com. L E I K E N dot com. And my phone number is 415 441 8218. Again, 415 441 8218. I'll tell you about the website. Is I actually have about five different websites, one for each of my programs. Every cool. one of them is accessible off of that uh, lichen.com. dot com. Um, but a parent could easily email me and say, "Hey, I want to know more about this program," and I'll direct you to exactly where you need to go to get the information. So,
1: okay, uh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff, to to the teens listening to the podcast today, a couple, couple bits of advice about, before they cross that bridge to young adulthood.
0: Well. Um, okay, again, <laughs> How much time do I have? all right i'll I'll try to keep this um, very, very brief. I would say that very likely, if you're listening to this podcast, you have at least gotten a little bit of, if not earfuls, of this message about how critical your grades are and how important it is that you do all these things to boost your college resume so that you can be competitive to get into the top. Colleges and universities and that stuff in the country. And I'm not going to discourage anybody from going to college. I'm not going to discourage anybody from pursuing whatever school they dream of going to. Um, what I am going to um, offer is that that is about half of 1% of what it's actually going to take for you to really be able to thrive in your life. And the amount of evidence. That supports how many people have had amazing career success stories and adventurous, wonderful lives, having gone to obscure schools or not gone to the fanciest places in the world, or not even graduated from college. Um, far outnumbers the number of those who just went that one route. So, what I would say is, you know, aim for is wherever you want to aim for, and if you wind up not getting into that place that you know you've been told you have to get into. Don't give up on it because it's probably just where the adventure of your life is going to begin is somewhere other than where you had thought it was going to be. So that's one thing. The second thing is, is the world of technology, especially the entertainment technology, whether it's video games or Netflix um, or these kinds of things, um, while they are uh, abundantly available and they are really, really seductive and they feel really good, Kind of like weed, you could just take a little hit and you sleep better at night, that kind of stuff. Um, Be very, very wary of it. Be very skeptical of that stuff because it will take your edge off. And if there's something that you're going to need no matter what you pursue in your life, it's to be able to maintain your edge, to be able to have that awakeness and that alertness that you have when you're performing at your best, when you're the most aware and have the most acuity to um, what's happening in the world around you, whether athletically or socially or um, as as you're pursuing academics and learning, and don't succumb to losing your edge. And those things will take it away, and they'll do it in the worst way imaginable, which is a long, slow decline. So it's so subtle you don't know it's happening until it's happened. So I'm going to give you one well more, said. which is – just going to say one more, and then I will, I will stop, okay?
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, no problem.
0: Which is, there's a lot of bad news. You hear it every single day. And for your generation, since 9-11, you've grown up in a decade of bad news. There was 9-11. There was Al Gore Inconvenient Truth in 2004 with the, um, you know, the news about the environmental destruction. Uh, 2008, the economic collapse – um, all the struggles going on in the Middle East and Russia and all this stuff that's going on um, in the world at this point. And it's very easy, especially as a teenager, to surround yourself with other people who will talk about how the world is going to hell and will become cynical and they'll talk about, you know, you only live once, YOLO, and, you know, just be in the moment and all this kind of stuff. Um, and what I'll tell you is uh, don't succumb to all the negativity and don't give in to all this crap about how, you know, there's no hope. I have a very firm belief that, well, you know, the world may be going to hell in a handbasket. You know, <laughs> don't, don't let it go down without one hell of a fight. So right on. stand up and choose something you really care about and stand up for it and surround yourself with people who are going to work forward with you. And um, you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised at the very least at some of the amazing things that are being happening for you as you live a life that um, people one day will look at and envy.
1: Wow, amazing. Amazing advice. Jeff Lycan, thanks for joining us on the Prepped and Polished podcast. Appreciate your time.
0: Thank you very much. I hope this was useful.
1: It was. Thank you. And this wraps up our show today with internationally recognized coach Jeff Lycan. To learn about Jeff's amazing work mentoring kids, visit his site and sign up for his informative newsletter, www.likin.com. That's www.leiken.com. Thank you for joining us on the Prepped and Polished podcast. Now go out there and take control of your education.
0: You've been listening to the Prepped and Polished podcast. For more information, check out com. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Class dismissed.